This episode contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, June 9th, the Perfect Sleep Environment Edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom to three littles, Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's 8, and Teddy, who's 5. And we live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm Zach Rosen. I make the Best Advice Show podcast, and I live in Detroit with my family. My oldest, Noah, is four, and my son, Ami, is one. My name is Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who is nine, and we live in Los Angeles. Well, today we're bringing you part two of Sleep Week, where we gathered all of your burning sleep questions and brought them to some highly qualified experts. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Rebecca Spencer from the University of Massachusetts Amherst's The Somo Neuro Lab. She's got some really great answers, including some insight on how to create the perfect sleeping environment for your kids. So be sure to stick around. Then on Slate Plus, we're going to be talking about how even the royal family can't avoid the fuck you fours. Here's a sneak peek if you have Slate Plus. I think we got to stop calling him Prince Louis. I think that's going to his head. Why don't we just call this little fucker Lou? He's just a little kid. Like, of course he's going to be acting out and being cute and annoying. That's that's what they, these kids do, even princes, because princes are just people. If you rely on this show for parenting advice, consider signing up for Slate Plus. It's the best way to support this show. Members will never hear another ad on any other Slate podcast. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash momanddadplus. Again, that's slate.com slash momanddadplus. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to jump into triumphs and fails. We're back. Jamila, what have you been up to this week? I'm failing because I'm a failure. It's not even a fail that happened. It's nothing that I've done wrong, but it's something I feel terrible about, though I should not. Um, I am going to New York for a week in a, in two weeks. This trip was originally planned for November and I postponed it because the COVID rates were really bad. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to go in February and I was like, you know, it kind of sucks to go to New York when it's cold outside. It would be much nicer to do this in the summertime. And so, you know, this trip that Naima's known was coming for a while is finally like really coming. And she's devastated. She's like, why do you have to leave for a whole week? You know, um, it's bad enough that you keep leaving. And it's not that I keep leaving. This will be my second trip this year without her. <laughs> but it's also one of three coming up in a somewhat short time span. So it kind of went from mommy's not doing this anymore. It's like, oh, mommy's back mm-hmm. on the road again. And even though this is the longest trip, I feel bad and I can't get past feeling bad about it. And like, you know, it's almost hard for me to remember that there was a time in my life where I routinely dropped Naima off at school with a suitcase in my hand, you know, because I was always going somewhere. And that's just not how life is anymore. And I've, you know, adjusted to that. And it's, I guess it's hard for me to kind of reconcile how, and it's not that she, she was never enthusiastic about me traveling. Don't get me wrong. It's not that, you know, she was like, okay, see you later, you know, but it was a part of our rhythm in a way. And it didn't upset her, you know, quite as much as it does now. And I get that part of it is, hey, for the last two years, you haven't had to deal with this. You've had Mm -hmm. more time with me. 
you know, at this point than you've had at any other time in your life, short of infancy, you know, because we're always together, you know, and I just feel like a crappy mom because I thought about, I was like, you know, you could make the, it's a, I'm going for a gala and a social trip, you know, I'm going to, and I'm going to meet with my editor. Y'all know I'm writing a book. So I will be doing some work stuff while I'm there, but it is largely, this is kind of like my summer vacation, you know, like, in theory, I could have brought her to this, but like I thought about it and I was like, I need some New York time to myself, yes. you know, like I'm so isolated in California, you know, like I don't have a lot of people here. And while it would be nice to go back with Naeem and I do plan on bringing her back maybe for Thanksgiving, that is her hometown. I need this, you know, but it just feels so shitty. But no, you got to get your New York time. You've got to take a summer vacation. You got to recharge your batteries and also does she does she have some fun stuff the week that you're gone to look forward to well we're trying to figure that out now i think she's gonna end up going to this camp for two weeks that she really liked and it's the camp she wanted to go to the most but her dad and stepmom found something more affordable so she'll be going there for the majority of the summer but i do think that during that window i'm gonna send her to the camp that she wanted so at least she will have something to look forward to do you find that she, once you actually leave, does it get any better or is it still tough for her? You know, there was one exception. Um, I had surgery and she was with her dad for a few days and she called me on like the second night in tears and she had a bad day and she was like, I want my mommy, you know, and yeah. like buried to the point like this ain't working. I'm not pleased. I'm not OK. But for the most part, she usually ends up having a good time. And, you know, when we see each other, she'll say, did you cry? Or, you know, who cried? Raise your hand. And we'll both <laughs> raise our hands, you know. But um, overwhelmingly, she does fine. She yeah. wants to know that you missed her, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Aw, that's hard. But I am glad you're getting to go to New York. Yeah, have fun, please. Like, I think, you have fun. Cry on the plane and then have a great time. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, what's going on in your world this week? Well, we are uh, five days past Noah's surgery. Noah had surgery last week where she was put under. And it was scary. Shira went was actually in the room with her when they anesthetized her. Um, and she described, you know, the the scene of the the nurses like engaging Noah and asking her questions and asking her about her favorite things and then like a couple minutes in like they're asking her questions and Noah's eyes are still open but she's yeah. she's not responding then she closes her eyes um and then the surgery went very well it took an hour the doctor was it, everything's fine don't don't worry um she's she's great now um but yeah when she got up from you know coming out of that stuff out of the the gas is she was just like disoriented yeah. and just 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 she was she was so sad and just uncomfortable she had an iv in her um didn't know what was going on mm. she just wanted to be held by shira it was very sweet um the three of us were together but it took her like an hour to to kind of get back to herself and then a couple days to you know of soreness um where she didn't go to school Obviously, we gave her lots of TV and whatever she wanted uh, in her recovery. And now she's doing great. I mean, she played. She had her first t-ball game this weekend. She was able to play. She's Aww. back to doing flips and stuff. Um, so she's great. But, man, that I, it just gave me so much 
respect for parents who have kids with with chronic illness parents who are who are constantly in the hospital with their kids my heart goes out to you i got just the tiniest little taste of it and it was so so challenging and so for that experience to be stretched out over days and months and years just my goodness the resilience that both kids and parents have to demonstrate for that is mind-blowing so thankfully she's great now well i'm glad that went well and um every time we've ever done the going under thing is is awful i know i've talked about it here Mm -hmm. before Mm -hmm. it's just like the controlling your adult brain to not run away is so so hard like uh, just to try to be like i'm just here dealing with what i can deal with and the things that need dealt with and not worrying about all this other stuff 100 percent. what about you i have a fail to lighten everyone's mood (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had this whole other thing to tell you, which I'll share another time. But then today, I uh, dropped Henry off at dive camp, which he's having a great time and is very intense. And I was sort of worried about no problems. Then I was going to the gym and I had the two others with me to check into the gym daycare and go to my gym class. And I thought that went fine. And I got up to gym class and I'm adjusting the back of my pants And there is a piece of gum that someone has stuck down my pants. It was my youngest son, Theodore, (laughs) (laughs) who I'm still not entirely sure why, because I, after the class was over, my friend is taking them to the pool and I didn't want to like sink that whole thing. But as I picked him up from the daycare to get him changed, he said, I don't want to go swimming. And I said, you don't have to go swimming, but you have to go, you know, with our friend. And he said, no, or I'll stick another piece of gum down your pants. (laughs) And I was like, okay, (laughs) just remain calm. He's clearly never getting gum again. (laughs) Um, That is the, the short answer. I'm not really sure where else I'm going with this I'm still pretty mad now the gum did come out I have like amazing friends who went to the ice machine and got some ice and like rubbed it on my pants and got it off my pants and we were able to get it off it had stuck to my back I'm pretty mad about the whole thing and also like he was so devious and held it for so long yes. <laughs> I don't know I'm like a little bit impressed <laughs> I was gonna say you didn't know how it got there nope. you thought nope. it was just an accident yeah uh, yeah I mean, I guess you could accidentally spit your gum down someone's pants. I mean, initially I was like, is there any way this gum was on the toilet? That's what I said to my friends. And they were like, no. I mean, he's been chewing gum for a while and been so responsible about it. Like, he always puts it in paper. Like, we've talked about that. Um, Oliver still does not really, doesn't get gum because he still doesn't really understand, like, what to do with it. Like, that is just not something Mm -hmm. he does very well. So I, I am angry at myself. I'm angry at him, but I'm also just like, okay, like the consequence is just no gum. Cause I gave him the gum and then I didn't notice when he spit it down my pants. I mean, <laughs> how could you notice that? Yeah. Do you know how <laughs> light gum is? <laughs> I just Let's always assumed if someone put something down my pants, I may notice. <laughs> I'm disappointed in myself this for not feeling child. the gum you in my think, pants. You would think this would They're still coming out with new stuff. This is not... A, cl- a typical trick. <gasps> this is unique. <laughs> yes. But now I'm stuck in this like chess game because the, the the deviousness of which he was like, I'm going to stick another piece of gum down your pants. Like he knew <laughs> I knew, but was waiting, <laughs> you know. So yeah. we'll see. I'll get that moment of satisfaction when he asks for a piece of gum. <laughs> you guys. 
there's nothing worse than gummed underpants. I, that is a new, <laughs> I, 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 I think I take getting pee. It was awful. It was really awful. Thank you, dear friends who rubbed ice on my butt. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to jump into your sleep questions. So longtime listeners of the show know that we get a lot of questions about sleep. And to be fair, it's not only a big part of our lives, but when sleep gets rough, it can make everything else feel even trickier. Plus, different kids have different sleep patterns and problems. Clearly, we have a lot to talk about, and we're lucky to be joined by Dr. Rebecca Spencer. She's the principal investigator at the Somneuro Lab at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, so we're interested in this age-old question of why we sleep. Um, So you can imagine I have a whole career ahead of me to really figure that out. (laughs) But one area that we really focus on is how important sleep is for learning and memory and emotion processing um, in ways that, you know, might seem obvious. Like when you're sleep deprived, these are things that you feel like go awry, (laughs) but also what is sleep actively doing and how. Um, We're also interested in particular, how does that change with development? Infants, children, they sleep a ton. And how does that relate to what we think sleep is doing? Um, And then also even on the older adult side of things, like sleep starts going downhill. Well, is that why your memory and your emotion processing and all of that goes downhill? Do we struggle so much with sleep because it's one of those things that like we feel like should come naturally, but actually you have to put some work into it? I mean, is that or it's that's just life? (laughs) Yeah, I think we do for that reason, for sure. Like, I think that it should come naturally. So why do I have to work at it? And you certainly do at times have to work at it. I also think that we're still getting over this kind of assumption or equation of sleep with laziness. And so there's still some braggery to like, I pulled the all nighter. Oh, I'm working on four hours of sleep. And instead of really admiring that person who dedicates six, eight or more hours to the sleep, getting the sleep that they need so that they do function appropriately. So I do think we've got a bit of a culture of still stigmatizing sleep a bit and stigmatizing napping and stigmatizing those things that are actually probably good for us in the long run. If you had to boil it down to just a couple quick tips for people, <laughs> like what do you even offer them? Yeah, it's a great question. That's the age old question, right? Yeah. Like I want my kids to sleep better. What's the magic formula? Um, I think number one is thinking about the environment. What environment are you putting your child in and expecting them to sleep in? And our environment that we sleep in is always best to be cold, dark, and quiet. Um, And so just targeting those things in the room that can really promote sleep. Uh, You know, it's in New England coming on summertime here. And so suddenly we have light coming into the room at 5 a.m. Well, this is a time when we need some room darkening shades to make sure that the kiddos can sleep past, you know, 5 a.m. But the other thing I think about is our light exposure all day long. It's not just that you don't want light exposure at night. It's also making sure kids are getting light during the day, getting access to natural light during the day, giving access to dim light before bedtime. That's how we control our own natural melatonin. And so we don't really need to be thinking about giving kids melatonin, but we do need to be thinking about how can we capitalize on the melatonin that they already have. Those are wonderful. 
before we jump into the questions the listeners <laughs> sent, I'm going to put you on the spot because my co-host and I have a have a debate that like going on all the time because we get these sleep questions and we provide advice. And of course, all we know is our own experience. But we get these questions all the time that are sort of like, my kid isn't falling asleep right away. We're having trouble at bedtime. And I always advise trying an earlier bedtime under the idea of sleep begets sleep. And that has worked for me, but my both of my co-hosts believe <laughs> that they should put the kids to bed later, that later bedtime is better. So anytime we have someone with sleep that comes on the podcast, I have to ask them, who's right? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll play neutral and say yeah. you both could be right, right? Like it depends upon the kid because yeah. just like you and I could differ, like I'm a total lark, I'm a morning person and you might be a night owl, right? Kids can differ in the same way. So the right time to put a kid to sleep is probably different. I do think depending upon the age, some parents do make the mistake of being like, my kid needs to be in bed at 6 or 7 p.m. And there is a too early for kids. So yeah, you know, they're going to go to bed earlier than me. But at the same time, like 6, 7 p.m. might be too, too early. Now, sometimes we do those really early bedtimes out of convenience for us. Well, I want them to be awake by, you know, yeah. some early morning hour. And so, yeah, that might be convenient for you. But then you're trying to put them to sleep outside of when their body clock is really aligned to be going to bed. So it's possible that it's too early, but it, you know, it really depends upon the kid. It depends upon the situation. Um, the age of the child will matter too. So of course, like those, those really young ones will be more ready to fall asleep at seven yeah. um, than as they grow out of it. And they are growing out of that already by five, six, seven. I mean, you're going to see these natural transitions in their sleep, especially as they consolidate their sleep. So they're no longer napping during the day. Then they do need to maybe go to bed a little bit earlier for a while, but then they'll gradually move that backwards. And so going to bed a little bit later, you've got to give the kids credit for that. Because um, trying to get the kid to sleep outside of when their circadian body clock wants them to sleep, if you're lucky, you can get them to fall asleep. But if you do, it's also it, it can cause sleep to be a bit more fragmented. So we want to try to get the kids sleep, but even our adult sleep to be as much as possible within that window that our body clock is set for. Okay, I'm going to read you our listener question and see if you have any advice for them. So they say, Here we go. Dear Mom and Dad, what is a good plan for a smooth as possible sleep while getting my kids used to sharing a bedroom? Right now, our six-month-old sleeps in a crib in our room. And her three-and-a-half-year-old brother sleeps in a twin bed in the next room. We'd like to move baby out of our room and eventually have the kids share a room. How should we prepare our toddler for his new roommate? When and how should we sleep train the baby? She's waking two to three times a night right now. And we did a modified Ferber method with our first at 10 months. Do you have any? That's advice? a loaded one. There's <laughs> quite a, a bit in one. there. Okay, there's there's some fun fun things to talk about. So room sharing with kids. Um, you know, we don't talk enough about this. We find it super interesting. Um, from what I understand, though, and just like from some of the work we've done on bed sharing and room sharing. Um, Kids are actually quite adaptable. And so actually the little sibling might be less apt to wake up to their siblings crying in the bed next to them yeah. than the parent is. Like we as parents, we're a little our sleep is a little more sensitive, our sleep is a little less deep, and we're also sensitive to our baby's cries. So you're probably having a harder time sleeping through that than the sibling will be. And you know, you'll probably find in fact that that toddler can 
sleep through their new roommates crying more than you might think so. So I actually think that that might not be as tricky as we sometimes worry it to be. And then the question was in there of like, when should you start sleep training? Yeah, how do you, when should you sleep train? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and certainly this varies by child in terms of how ready they are. I mean, I also always have to admit that it varies in terms of whether people kind of their beliefs around sleep training in the first place. I think it's like talking religion and politics to yeah. say whether there's a right <laughs> answer to it. Right. Yes. Um, but I personally believe in that um, sleep training is good. But then we can also talk about like, well, what do we mean by sleep training? And I think of it as fading, which means that you just gradually shift how responsive you are, how quickly you respond. Um, if you think of having the infant always um, trying to go a little bit longer than they do the night before. So as opposed to trying to go cold turkey, we're going to like not respond to a single cry. You just take a little longer to, to respond to a cry. Try to get them to go a little bit later in the night to res- before you respond and try using some of that approach um, uh, in a gradual approach. And then I think it is fair to try to, um, you know, uh, get the infant as far along as possible before switching. But sometimes bed- bedrooms and beds and cribs and, you know, a lot of things dictate when we're going to switch to a sibling room. Um, but I think, you know, trying to fade them down to maybe one awakening um, is good and preparing that other toddler. You could always think about putting um, one of the sound monitors into the toddler's room so they get a little used to having those sounds closer to them. But I think overall, the, the, the new roommate will probably have a pretty smooth transition. Is there anything you wish parents knew about napping? The number one thing is parents often see naps as a bad thing and kind of rush the transition out of naps um, because naps can be inconvenient, particularly for a second child or third child. Um, And it's understandable that it's inconvenient, but those naps are super important. And they're helping, like a kid is building up this amount of like information in the brain and it needs to be kind of cleaned out. And their brains are tiny, and so they need to clean out more often. That sleep is really important. As they're trying to learn at this really young age, sleep is actually helping them learn. And so we kind of have this tendency to be like, no, and like, they could learn more. They could start swim lessons or something. <laughs> but but this is like super critical to them being able to learn everything that you want them to learn. And so I think we just don't value nap time enough, particularly in that preschool range when we're starting to hear like, oh, my friend's kid's done napping. We don't share a common age of like, they're yeah. all going to stop napping at 3.5 years, right? And so that we have to respect. Like for some kids, it might be really high twos. I think that's really rare. But for some kids, it might not be until after they're five years old. And so you really have to, like I say, give your child the opportunity to nap. And they could go for a while and they honestly don't need to nap. But that that need can come back for a while. Giving your child that opportunity to de- decompress, to, to snooze if they can snooze, knowing that that snooze is really important to all of their trying to learn, all of their emotion processing, and also their brain development. When you say give them the opportunity, because um, I uh, this is something I definitely struggled with. Even my five-year-old, even now, it's like I see him kind of afternoonish feeling like this kid needs a nap like that you know when you get those behaviors that you're like he this is just a overtired child <laughs> we still need to make it another you know so many hours so is your advice kind of when you say give them the opportunity put them kind of in that sleep environment with some books maybe say hey let's spend 20 as part of our routine we're going to spend 10 minutes 20 minutes kind of in this space doing something quiet 
and allowing them to have that kind of opportunity to get tired? I mean, is that? Yep. So the first thing I would say to you is if your child acted like that at 10 o'clock at night, would you be like, oh, he must not have to sleep tonight, right? No, No, (laughs) right? So they are going to go through this period of sleep defiance. They're going to be defiant. They're pushing boundaries for (laughs) emotional, psychological reasons. But we don't just say like, oh, they must not have to sleep, right? We do have to work through those things. And that's about teaching them how to be responsive to sleep, how to be able to sleep promote them. Um, And if you sleep promote them and they're not able to sleep, that's fair. But making sure that they learn and you might go through a phase where they're going to defy it every single day. But, you know, continue to work on that skill of no, we need to wind down for a bit and here's what we're going to do. Some of that can be facilitated by building really good routines around nap time, um, by having good communication, particularly as the child gets older. They are more aware and cognizant and you can say, we're going to nap today and here's what we're going to do after the nap, but you really need to nap first. Um, And so as they get older, you can use more and more language about describing why the nap's important. But during that phase, yeah, you're going to fight it for a little bit, but know that, you know, you might be fighting it at nighttime and you're still going to get them to sleep. You might, you might fight about teeth brushing hygiene, but we still have them (laughs) brush their teeth. Right. And so making sure to not just interpret that fight as, oh, they don't need to nap. That fight could just be that the presence of some, you know, a little bit of backlash. And that's just a developmental thing that they're gonna have some conflict, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily done napping. And so I think that's the common thing is to misinterpret that um, as, oh, they're done napping, as opposed to, no, we need to work through some skills, we need to work through this socio-emotional thing to help them know to still keep trying to go to sleep. Yeah, like they feel, I think often they feel like they're gonna miss out on something you know like yeah. hey i know don't the world. We all? you're really fun yeah yeah i mean listen, that's why adults don't sleep right like we're exactly. scro- we're scrolling because we're like what else is going on totally i think my final question is about technology before bed we know it's bad how bad is it what what kind of buffer <laughs> should yeah. we be giving the number one thing is that content is alerting right like i'm gonna watch some movie even if it's not some like you know, like super intense violent movie. It's still like, it's novelty. It's exciting. It's alerting. And all that alerting is going to wind your kid up instead of wind them down. Um, And so that's the one thing is to think about the content of what your child is watching. If it's a show that they've, you know, watched 10 times over, that's going to be less alerting than letting them watch some new show every single night. So you can make better decisions about what they're watching. And the other thing is to think about, well, it doesn't matter what they're watching because it's all shining lights like right into our eyes and what does light do it prevents you from tapping into your own melatonin resource and that's true for adults too is that we shine lights into our face and that that's going to keep our melatonin from coming out melatonin we call the vampire hormone because it comes out in the dark Um, and so you have melatonin you don't need to go take melatonin you have it it's just that we're not in dim light for that um, to come out so As much as possible, you know, the ways to use technology wisely are, um, for one, try to avoid it within about an hour of bedtime. You want that final hour to be in dim light. And number two, keep track of that content because as you get closer to bedtime, you want less alerting content. So go for those shows that are super familiar. You know, they've watched it 10 times and this, you know, 11 isn't going to be as stimulating as trying something new. Oh my gosh, I feel like you just answered so many questions and hopefully, (laughs) hopefully we're giving people, um, 
ways to get a better night's sleep or at least to just understand that this, like many things with children, is something you have to figure out for your kids and help instill, you know, good sleeping habits, good value. It almost even sounds like good valuing your sleep and teaching them to appreciate that. So hopefully they can sleep better as adults, too. Yes. Yes, because and, and we do know that from science even shows that good sleeping kids, they grow up to have better sleep. So it's a good investment. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate yeah. it so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for our show. We're back in your feeds Monday with recommendations and an interesting listener question. So be sure to tune in or better yet, just subscribe to the show so it'll show up automatically. If you found any of the advice helpful, be sure to share it with a friend. We could all use more sleep. Finally, if you have any questions for us, they don't have to be sleep related. Email us at slate.com. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Jasmine Ellis. They had help this week by Christy Taiwo, Mac and Jula. For Jamila Lemieux and Zach Rosen, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Thanks for listening. All right, Slate Plus listeners, let's keep going. The world's eyes have been on Prince Louis as he was a typical four-year-old at the Queen's Jubilee. I, for one, am glad to know that not even the future King and Queen of England can escape dealing with the fuck you fours. And honestly, pretty much everything I've seen reminds me of Teddy. (laughs) I think it's just uh, screams third child (laughs) chaos. And it's nice to know it's not just me, you know, trying to get grabbed in the face and gently telling them to stop. But what do you guys think about all the attention that he's getting? I think we got to stop calling him Prince Louis. I think that's going (laughs) to his head. Why don't we just call this little fucker Lou? He's just a little kid. Like, of course he's going to be acting out and being cute and annoying. That's that's what they, these kids do, even princes, because princes are just people. Princes are just people. Um, the world loves cute kids, and he's a cute kid, so it's not surprising that he's getting a lot of attention. Um, I do think it's a relief when you see other kids, especially when you have children that age, when you see other people's children misbehaving in public, especially wealthy and powerful kids, because there's... Somewhere in there, we believe that these people have figured out some things or just have access to some stuff that we don't, you know, like somehow they should be able to keep their children in control, right? No, they're kids. Kids are awful and they're going to do awful things no matter where you take them, especially at four. Right. Like they're not going to have all their like helpers during the Jubilee, like sitting in the first (laughs) row with them. Like it's going to, there's nowhere for them to hide there. I just want all the grace to be given to the rest of us. Like, you know, if, if you see an, a child treating, the, it, I don't know, it feels like the, you know, the coverage for the most part is like, oh, look, there he is being, being a little rebel again, you know, oh, how cute, mm-hmm. right. um, which it is. I mean, he's being a child. That That is how four-year-olds behave. But it seems like if my child acts like that in the grocery store and is like grabbing at my face or we're somewhere, right? Other parents or other adults are like, oh my gosh, your child is out of control. It's like, this is just, this is just what children are like. Mm -hmm. Um, So just, you know, extend that grace to us too. I don't know. I also like that shirt that he's wearing. He's got like that white button down t-shirt with like the thin blue lines. I'd wear that. They have great clothes. What can you say? They have great clothes. Well, Slate Plus, let us know what you think. You can email us at slate.com and be sure to join us on Monday for a regular show and Thursday for another bonus segment. See you later. <laughs>